Um, this is written by the Apostle Paul to a struggling, uh, threatened even church in the first century. So all I have for you is just his introduction or his greeting. I like it when you read out loud the Word of God with me. So let's just read his introduction of himself and his greeting to the church. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God the Father. So what we wanted to do today is just do a, a bit of an overview of the whole book. And, and what you find as you study the book of Colossians is there are, there are six overarching themes that run through the book. The, the first of the themes that uh, is really a, a deep expression of, of Paul's understanding of knowledge. How do you know something? How do you know that it's true? What can you count on in terms of, when I know this, can I hold on to this? Can I anchor my life into this truth? And so Paul speaks a lot about the source of knowledge and of the type of knowledge that you can count on. He also teaches really clearly on what is the church of Jesus Christ? What does Jesus want his church to be? And how does he want his church to operate in every generation. He takes up in his study and and, and his treatment here of of the situation of the church in Colossae. It's It's an interesting situation that Paul never visited this church. Uh, He never preached there. He never went there. But when a revival, when a, a move of God was taking place in Ephesus, and this, the God was moving in such a powerful way that people were coming from neighboring towns and regions. And there was a man by the name of Epaphras, and he came, and Epaphras was converted to Christ and then filled with the Holy Spirit and went back to Colossae. And he started a church, and he, he ended up actually starting numerous churches in that region. But after a while, these churches were facing challenges. They were facing difficulties. And there was a lot of philosophy that was coming against them. There was a lot of religiosity that was coming against them. And so Paul takes up a theme of what are the absolutes that you can guide your life by? What are the things that you know that you know and that don't change whatever generation that you're living in and that you can say, this is truth, not this is my truth or this is my personal truth, but this is the truth. And he, he makes that one of the major themes. He also takes up the whole idea of, okay, can truth really change a person? Can a person change? Can there be transformation? Are you just stuck repeating the same mistakes in the same life over and over again? Or is there power from the truth to transform your life? He takes up the whole idea then of if these things are true, let's say there's real knowledge and there's, there's real truth. If there really is a church, then how does that affect all the relationships of your life. Because if you're going to be in the church and if you're going to be connected to other people, 
you're going to have to know how to relate. And so he takes up everything in relationship from employer and employee to uh, father, mother, children, husband, wife, friendships. And, he's, and he begins to show how the transformation that Christ does in your life brings about a transformation in your relationships. And then as he unpacks those things, he also, uh, to me, says something that's incredibly pertinent for us today. He starts to talk about the end of the world. And he begins to really share with these believers who had expectation of Christ's return. He begins to share with them about the second coming of Christ. I, I don't know about you, but when I read the news, I get pretty unsettled these days. Uh, I mean, this thing with North Korea is not easy to even read about. Or I don't remember ever seeing three hurricanes in a row come through. And, and to top that off, an earthquake in Mexico City. They got they had three of them. They got, the, they got triple dipped there. And, in, and the devastations that I've seen, it, it makes it feel like a very unstable world. Plus, all you have to do is listen to the news or read the news, and it just feels so, so unsafe right now. And what a powerful thing that what Paul wrote to an unsafe church in an unsafe world comes to pass again and is just as relevant to us today that you and I have a security that is not based on the circumstances we find ourselves in. That we have a security that being in Christ and that Christ is returning for his bride and he is coming back for us and that this life itself is not ultimate to us. So as we look at those six overarching things, I want to unpack some of those themes for you. And I want to I start with what we feel like is the theme of the whole book. And that's, that's this question of, how do I, in this life, in this time in my life, how do I experience feeling complete or being complete? Um, most of us, if we're, we're honest, we're often striving to be happy, or we are so disillusioned, we no longer try to be happy, we just try to be numb. Many of us have gotten to the place where we expect almost nothing so that we won't be disappointed. We often have met with uh, our enthusiasm did not match our circumstances. And so there's a, there's a reality that many people who call themselves Christians have a greater relationship with cynicism than they do with hope. They have more experience in disillusionment than they do in an anticipation. Let me just say to you this. Psychologically, without expectancy, without a sense of a future, faith dies. Because faith without hope is not faith. It's, it's coping. It's, it's settling. It's resigning. And so... If you're to really grasp and take hold of what Colossians has for you, you have to recognize that disillusionment, cynicism, disdain, fear is not going to make you complete. That you have to take a chance again. That you have to risk again. 
And one of the things that, that Colossians teaches, but it's also taught in all of the scripture, is that some of the greatest experiences of your life happen when you believe first. That many things are not experienced spiritually until you believe them. Now, our logical mind, in a sense, says, well, if I experience them, then I'll believe them. So it's, There's no risk in that. There's no faith really in that. The faith is when you say, if God says it, then it's true. Now, you're believing it doesn't make it true, but you're believing it because it is true. So here's the simple equation of Colossians. Me plus Jesus equals complete. Me plus Jesus equals complete. Would you... Look at somebody around you, and hopefully someone you can tolerate, and uh, look in them face, look in them in the eye, and say, you, you. Plus, plus Jesus, Jesus. Equals, complete. equals complete. All right, I'd like you to remember that little phrase. All right, now let's, let's think about that phrase for a minute. In that equation... There's only one who has wholeness. It's Jesus. We all agree with Alan. Okay? You cannot get to completeness by faking wholeness. You have to realize in that equation that the you in that equation, the me in that equation is broken, is bankrupt, is spiritually you know, with no ability of your own. This is, this is why most people do not really get into the completeness piece. It's because they tend to think me plus something else is all I need. Or me alone, me being good, or me being religious, or me being, you know, approved of, or accepted, or whatever it is. That's what will make me complete. But no matter what, In this equation, we are always the broken one. He is always the healthy one. He is always the whole one. And part of why many, many Christians never experience fullness, they never experience completeness, is because they cannot acknowledge the fact that their life in and of itself does not work. You know, when people come to the place and they say, I need you to fill me, Holy Spirit, and it's real, it's because they realize they can't do it without him. There's some sense in which you will never be complete until you realize how destroyed you are and how, how of all the enemies that you have in the world, there's no one that quite the enemy as you are to yourself. And you begin to realize this doesn't work. I am broken. But me plus Jesus makes me complete. Now, it is very easy in this world, it is easy to start saying, yeah, that just seems too easy. That just seems too simple. You know, this little phrase, me plus Jesus equals complete, just doesn't seem like enough. And so what happens is, while the truth of this is right here in the Word of God, it's right here in Colossians where it says we are complete in Christ. Yet we get bombarded in, in our, our world and in our life and saying, yeah, but I don't think that's enough. And so what happens to a lot of us is we say, yeah, Jesus is in our life. So me plus Jesus plus my job 
or me plus Jesus plus my family or plus having children or having a, a marriage or having this or having that. And, and what happens is Jesus steps out of that equation altogether because Jesus refuses to be the means to your other ends. He wants to be the end. In other words, he's the end of the equation. Me plus Jesus equal complete. As soon as you put another plus sign there, Jesus drops out of the equation. He will let you have the plus so that you will know that it's not complete. But in doing so, he's doing this, he's doing a very interesting process. He's bringing you to the place in your life where you know that you need him. But he wants to get you to the place where you want him. Wanting and needing are two different things. So there are a lot of us, even when we pray, oh, God, I need you. And what we really mean is we've got some problems and we need you to fix them. Or, God, you know, I'm lonely and I I don't want to be lonely. Or, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm powerless and I don't want to be powerless. And God answers that prayer because he wants you to understand that you plus him equals completeness. But he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to get to the place where you begin to say like the psalmist, my heart pants after you like a deer pants after the water. Are you hearing me? So what are some of the things that try to get in the way of that me plus Jesus equation? Well, what Paul talks about a lot here is interesting. It's, it's the idea that we live in such a technologically advanced age that we, we live in a time where there are tremendous distractions. Let me give you a picture before I unpack this a bit for you. Let's say you're on, a, on an alleyway or a streetway, and at the end of the street, at the end of the alley, is Jesus. And he's saying to you, come unto me. And he's saying, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and, and I'll give you rest, and I'll, I'll take my yoke upon you, for my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he's calling to you, and he's inviting you, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And uh, so he's calling to you from the end of the alley. But on both sides of the alley, there are stores, there's homes, there's windows. And in the windows and in the, the shops, people are calling to you and saying, no, if you just have this job, if you just have this relationship, you'll be happy. If you just, you know, if everything goes well in terms of your finances, you'll be happy. If your health is good, you'll be happy. And it's so easy to forget who you're listening to. And so suddenly it's not me plus Jesus, but it's me, you know, kind of wandering toward Jesus while I go check out the, the shops and the, the seductions and the distractions and the temptations. And part of that is living in a world that is utterly distracted all the time. Where not only is it distracting, but there's noise like never before. There are things that, that cry out to you and say, you're foolish to stay on the path to Jesus. You must be a simpleton to say, me plus Jesus equals completeness. We live in a scientific time like never before, from nuclear medicine to nuclear power. One of the most interesting things is that scientific discoveries are coming at such a rate, you can't keep up with them day by day. As a matter of fact, most of us have gotten so dull. There's so much going on. We're pretty dulled 
even to pretty exciting breakthroughs. Like I noticed that the last Apple, uh, the last iPhone 8 opening, there were only like two or three people waiting to get it. And you can remember a number of years ago, people waited overnight. They camped out. Because you figure, well, nine's coming. I can just wait. You know? It's like a Rocky movie. It's getting up into the, the numbers like that. You know, you're just kind of dulled by it. You know, Rocky 25. And... <laughs> Sylvester Sloan comes back from the grave or whatever, you know? So you, you, after a while, you, just get, you almost get dulled to it. I mean, I remember as a kid, I'm old, so I remember sitting and watching our whole class, Neil Armstrong, get out of the space module and, and walk on the moon. Now, we had black and white TV, and it was teeny tiny, and, but it was great, no matter how fuzzy, and we had to hold the antenna, you know, and uh, all of that. But watching that and saying, he's on the moon. And now it's like, well, they go to the moon, so what? Who cares? It just doesn't, you understand, here's the reason, listen. 95% of all the scientists who have ever lived in history are alive today. We naturally ask questions about how then is God related to this? If we know everything already, and we understand everything, then how is Christ related to creation, to science, to discovery? Colossians answers that question. It says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth. We're just now seeing what he's always seen. But you might say to me, okay, that's all right. That's spiritual versus scientific, or that's faith versus science. And it's okay you have that personal view. And, and, and kind of, I want to tell you, most of us are not realizing the ramification of what's going on. We're not understanding at all that this isn't about science. This is about identity. And identity is the most important thing to you that you may not know how important it is. Identity is your sense of self. It's the sense of who you are. And it's your sense of worth, your sense of value. So, so let's just take, in our scientific, secular age, let's just take what the philosophy behind this is. If there is no creator then you're nothing but an accident. And you don't really matter. No lives matter if there is no creator. Because you're nothing but an accident. No one intended you. No one really is going to protect you. And what even may be worse in a sense, not only are you an accident, but all your problems, all of your pain, all your sacrifices are absolutely worthless. Because they're just random. They're, the things going on in your life, I love it when secular people say everything has a purpose. But if there is no creator, there is no purpose. And then what this also means is that this is it. This is all there is. It's fascinating that even apart from religion or apart from morality or whatever... People say things like, you should be patient. Patience has its own reward. But in truth, if this is all it is, patience is an idiotic thing for you to do. It makes sense now when people run the red light and almost kill me because why should they be patient? You know, why should anybody be patient? As a matter of fact, I, this is all there is. I better grab for all the gusto I possibly can, which means if you're in my way, I just take you out. 
because this is all that it is. You understand, I'm explaining this to you because every single day you're being bombarded with this. Everything that's sold to you, everything that's spoken to you, every time someone, you know, in a sense, ridicules the idea that there's a creator, what they are saying then is nothing here matters. I want to say to you what Colossians says, for by him were all things created. In other words, you are not an accident. You are a creation, which means that you are really his masterpiece. You're his poem. You're his painting. You're his son, his daughter. There's something that is eternally significant about you. You're not an accident. You are his heart. You are his, his creative ability. As a matter of fact, in John 17, Jesus says that the glory that he enjoys with the Father comes because of you. You matter to him. And how do I know that you matter to him? Not just because he created you and designed you, but you matter to him because he died for you. He deemed that your life was equal to the worth he placed on his own life. Matter of fact, he said it this way. No greater love has anyone than this that a man laid down his life for his friend. So the very creator who designed you and made you a poem for all eternity also came into this fallen world and redeemed you from nothingness and made you a son and made you a daughter. And you can know that you matter. And you can know that the problems in your life and the, the, the trials in your life and the pain in your life has purpose. Because what he's doing is he's taking that broken person that you are, he's connecting you to himself, and he's stripping away everything that keeps you from being able to connect closely to him. He's showing you the stuff that makes you run from him. He's showing the stuff where you're still saying, Jesus, it's you and. Jesus, you plus this. And he's trying to show you in permissive ways, allowing you to discover for yourself, I don't want that, I want you. And this isn't all that there is. The beauty, for me, the beauty of heaven is not that heaven is a, is a do-over or heaven is a start-over, but Paul says in heaven, the complete comes. This isn't, this isn't some wasted waiting room. This is the staging area for the rest of your life, for the real person that you've always wanted to be. And it's powerful when you realize this. Would, are, you, are you quiet because you're taking it in? Would you look at that person that you were willing to talk to before? And would you say to them this? Would you say it with all your heart to them? You are not an accident. You are intended You are a masterpiece. Your pain is not random. It has purpose. Your sacrifices have value. This is not all there is. The complete is coming. Now, when you say that to each other, When you say that to each other, do you believe it for that person? See, if you do believe it for them, then make the step to believe it for yourself. 
If you can believe it for them, they're just as broken as you are. And in your eyes, they might be more broken. I don't know. If you're married, it might be that, you know. But if they, if that person next to you plus Jesus is complete, then you can believe that you plus Jesus are complete. If you can believe it for them, then you can believe it for yourself. It's so important that you get this because, I, I, I mean, let me illustrate it with what, uh, a, a story. I, I really like this late, late show host. His name is James Corden. I can't stay up that late, so I watch it on YouTube a little bit. Or, but I love his karaoke and cars and, and all this stuff. He's, so, he's whimsical. He's, he's funny. There's a, a kindness about him, and yet still you know, comical and all of this stuff. So I was reading about him. Guess what? He grew up in the Salvation Army. His family are officers in the Salvation Army. He himself used to march in the Salvation Army band at Christmas in London, playing the tuba or whatever. And uh, so he was uh, radically involved with his parents. Um, in 2009, he hit a really low place, he said. He was, he was in a dark place in his soul. And where he went to is he went to his father, and his father prayed with him, and everything changed. Well, just a year and a half ago, he had an interview, and he said, I've left the faith. Now, that alone was, was striking that here's this guy who's had all these experiences of me plus Jesus equal complete. And, yet, and, and especially when he was down, it was the faith that his father prayed with him. It was real to him, and it changed his life. And what he said was, you just can't argue with science. A person would be a madman to argue with science. So suddenly, he's gone from me plus Jesus, equal complete, to me. And you know what? Me is never complete. I mean, if you listen to the love songs on the radio, and you realize me plus me is not complete. <laughs> it's always me plus you, baby, you know, and... Me plus you, you know, my sun, my moon, my, my Carmelo, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so our hearts know that me is never complete. But the problem then is if I don't have me plus Jesus, then everything else that I connect to is as broken as I am. So one of the things that, this, that Colossians talks about is it talks about the necessity then of us understanding not only that it's me plus Jesus equal complete, but that once it's me plus Jesus, then it's also me plus Jesus and you and you and you and you. Because that's what the church is. The church, in a way, is not a voluntary organization where you show up when you want to. If it's me plus Jesus, you're in the church whether you like it or not. Because, I mean, notice what he says. I'm going to show you this. He says, in verse 18 of chapter 1, Jesus is the head of the body, the head of the church. So suddenly, once you plus Jesus are, are in that right relationship, now you're also in relationship with everybody else who's them plus Jesus. Because he's the head connecting all of us to each other. And whether we like it or not, we, being connected to Jesus, are now connected to each other. But at the same time, what I have found is this is the only way you can have truly 
truly supernatural community. This is the only way you can have really fulfilling community. Let me, let me explain it to you. I, I love Lisa. She is a fantastic wife, and I enjoy her. But I hurt her feelings all the time. And she hurts my feelings all the time. And I have in my head what she's supposed to do and be and everything, and she never does what's in my head. <laughs> she does what's in her head. Okay? So now, if I go to Lisa and say, I'm going to be complete with you, and she says to me, I'm going to be complete with you, Mike, we're going to get divorced. Because I can't make her complete, and she can't make me complete, and she's as good a wife as I've ever seen. But she's as broken as I am, and as needy as I am, and the funny thing is, she's broken in places I'm not broken, and I'm broken in places she's not broken, so we just rub each other the wrong way. (laughs) Except if we are connected to each other as husband and wife, By being connected to the head of this family, this church, Jesus Christ. So if I go to Lisa complaining, you never do what I want you to do, all I'm going to do is break her more. But if I go to Jesus and say, why is this woman so irritating to me? (laughs) Then he'll go, it's not her. It's you. And he can say that to me because he has no vested interest in me getting my way or not getting my way. He only has an interest in me plus him being complete. Are you getting this? Then you, you, you start thinking that out in terms of friendship. You are my friend. But if I come to you and say, you know what? You don't call me when I want you to call me. You know, when I want to go out with you, you're never available. And I do all that. All you feel is, oh, he's attacking me. But if I'm complete in Christ and you're busy in this season, you're still my friend. I can make an adjustment. I can adapt and say, in this season, my friend needs me to give them space. And I won't go, you're not my friend anymore. And go find other people who are mad at you like I am and... Suddenly, instead of being connected to the head, I'm connected to the tail. You see, what this book is talking about is a real church. Not not a church that's of our own imagination, but the church that Jesus is gathering. A church where I look at you and say, you're connected to the head, so you're connected to me. Your language might be different. Your culture might be different. Some of your behaviors might be different. But I know the head of your life. I know that it's you and Jesus, just like it's me and Jesus. And I know that I don't have to get my completeness from you, but I can bring my completeness to you. See, anytime we're threatened by people or insecure with people, it's because we're still trying to be me plus you. But when it's me plus Jesus, and then it becomes us, Jesus is the source. Jesus is the bond. Jesus is the provision. How in the world can we possibly be together and not hurt each other? It's impossible. The closer I get to people, 
the more they either hurt me or I hurt them because we all have presumptions and expectations and we all have childishness and wounded places. I don't want to live at distance from my friends and my family. I want to live right in their lives. But in order to do that, it has to be me plus Jesus equals us. Am I making sense to you? See, I'll give you a little theology before we finish here. In every generation, you have to ask this question, and this is what Colossians ask, and it's a question. Who is the church? Who is the church that Jesus really is gathering? Because we can, we can all look and say there's a visible church. Like Risen King Alliance Church is a manifestation of the church. It's a visible expression of the church, but it's not the church. So there are, there are sheep in here, there are goats in here, there's, there's all manner, there are plants of Satan and there are saints of the Lord right here. And we want everybody to come into this because this is a visible manifestation of the church, but this isn't the church. So who is the church? Well, it's, it's those people who, me plus Jesus equals completeness, who then come together and say, since you and Jesus are together, then you and I are together. And it's like Danny was talking about earlier, is, is that we begin to realize this isn't about performance then. It's about the identity I've received from being in Christ, not the identity I achieved. For example, there are, a secular person has to have an identity, and so the secular person says, my identity is my behavior, my performance. If I'm a sports person, the sport is my identity. Or if I'm a business person, that's my, my profession is my identity. Or even maybe my, my family or my name or whatever it is. But the problem with that is that's always a very fragile identity. It's a moving target based on what are you doing right now. Anytime you base your, your identity on your behavior, the, the negative behavior can become your identity. And a religious person has it equally fragile because a religious person is trying to do what will make them acceptable to God, never completely knowing if they are or not. So there's this very fragile identity. But when, like Colossians teaches, that you are complete in Christ, then Christ becomes your true north. He becomes the absolute. And you say, I know who I am because who I am is who I am in Christ. And that will never change because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can, even when you mess up, you go, but see, my identity is still who I am in Christ. My identity is who he says I am. Now, what that does is it allows for change to take place in your life. A lot of people ask this question, and I agree with them. Okay, I, you have all these concepts about faith and you have these concepts about God that you teach on, but does it work? You know, it's not just important that it's true, but does it really work? And, and what people are really asking is, you know, will I have peace? Will, will my life change? Does he give joy? Does he really bring happiness? Does he give meaning to life, purpose, hope, power? Well, Colossians answers that in verse 1. I mean, in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, The body of Jesus' flesh, Jesus' body, through death, is able to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Can, can you grasp this? I mean, are you honest enough, 
enough to know how unholy you are? What a mess you are? I mean, thank God there's no such thing as telepathy. <laughs> that if people would know what you were thinking about them. Or, or, because there is a sense in which that even if your outward behavior doesn't condemn you, your mind definitely would. And so what, what this is saying is that God knew exactly what he was getting into with you. And what Jesus is doing, when you allow it to be me plus Jesus, what Jesus is doing is taking you from your brokenness and your unholiness, and he's connecting you to everything he is so that all of his attributes become your attributes. That the transformation isn't that you get more willpower or you suddenly, you know, you're you're doing things that you should do and not doing the things you shouldn't do but that you have had radical heart surgery where the very things that he's asking you to do are the things that you're recognizing and realizing, these are the things I always wanted to do. I remember one time a lady came to me and said, I'm having an affair. I'm cheating on my husband. And I'm addicted to the illicitness of this affair, and I I can't stop. And so she wanted me to pray with her, and she wanted me to to talk through this whole thing with her. And, and, you know, I wasn't sure how to help her because what she was saying was, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on this. I'm, I'm stuck doing this. I can't seem to stop it. And so I started with what I've been talking to you about today. I started with identity. And I said, well, tell me who you are. And she just looked at me and I said, are you an adulterer? Is that who you are? Is that what you value? Are you an addict? Is that who you are? Is that what you want to be identified as? Is that?" And it was like, all of a sudden, these lights went on in her head. And she goes, no, that's not who I am. I gave my life to Christ when I was a kid. I know Jesus is real, she started to say. I know God's grace is real and God's love is real. And with tears in her eyes, and she goes, I don't value being unfaithful. I value being faithful. You understand? I didn't say to her, you got to quit this. you got to stop this. You're killing your marriage. All those things are true. But they wouldn't bring change. They might make her stop for a while, but she'll go back to it. It was when she started realizing, I really do have a new nature. I really do have a new identity. (laughs) And I didn't use these words, but basically we're trying to get her to me plus Jesus. Equal complete. Because what was happening is she denied or forgot that me plus Jesus equal complete. And she started thinking me plus an affair will be complete. Me and illicit sex will be complete. And when I looked at her with te- and her tears in her eyes, I said, is that making you complete? No, it's making it worse. I'm lying. I'm living a lie. I'm all in. And so we just took it back, and she started, she started to just, you know, she was able to repent. She had told her husband he was able to forgive. I mean, it was an incredible transformation from this woman who was not herself to a woman who became a true version of herself. Are you hearing me in this? This transformation is so powerful. Look at what it says 
You're able to walk in Him, to be rooted and built up in Him. Me plus Jesus. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, it says, you are complete in Him. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, you're dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Will you stand with me? Sometimes you have to preach to your own soul. Uh, when the psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, he's preaching to his own soul. Right now, I want you to, I'd like you to preach to your soul. I mean, I can tell you me plus Jesus equal complete, but you've got to tell your own soul. Would you do that today? Would you say it out loud just so I know you're breathing? Would you say it out loud with me? Me plus Jesus equal complete. See, when you say it to others, you believe it. You've got to say it to your own soul. Say it again with me. Me plus Jesus equal complete. Now, very, with your eyes closed, again, preaching to your own soul, would you say this? I am not an accident. I am, not an accident. I am a masterpiece. I am a masterpiece. My, pain is not My pain is not random. It has purpose. It has purpose. My sacrifices are not meaningless. My sacrifices are not meaningless. They will never be forgotten. I know that I matter because Jesus died for me. I know that this is not all that there is. So I can be patient because the complete is coming. I know those are my words, but they're really just biblical words. I'm asking you today, even if you don't feel it yet, I'm asking you to believe it. Because feelings will follow. If what you believe is true, then what you feel will be right. But if what you feel is not true, it's because what you believe is not right. The battle is for your mind before it even gets to your heart. You're not an accident. We seal, Lord, what you're doing now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I know many of you are going to watch football, but hug a few people on the way. God bless you. We'll see you next week.